Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Compass Church. Happy Labor Day weekend to you all. How is uh, your Labor Day weekend going? I hope, I hope you're having a good one. I, I will tell you, mine started off a little rough. I'm going to confess some marital tension between my wife and I. Sometimes Jen schedules for me to do things without asking if, if I uh, think it's a good idea. And that happened on Friday night. Earlier in the week, I had said, what about Friday night? Do we have plans? And she said, oh, yeah, did I not tell you? She said, uh, we're going to do backyard camping. Here's a picture of what I endured on Friday night. Backyard camping is the worst idea in the history of the world. We'll endure anything for the sake of our kids, huh? And my wife started to explain this to me. I had never done this before. And I'm like, so let me just get this straight. You, uh, we, like, we bought a house, you know. We invested a lot of money in this thing called a house. And you want to choose to sleep near the house, but on the ground in a bag in the dirt with the bugs. And I said, Jen, I'm not, I don't want to do this. Have you already committed us? And she said, yeah, in fact, we're hosting it. And I'm like, oh. She said, I invited all our neighbors to come pitch their tent in our backyard. And I'm like, really? I'm like, wonderful. I go, I can't believe you did this. I told her, I go, you don't even like camping. She said, oh, uh, I should have told you. She said, all the moms are sleeping in the house. All the dads are, are going out with the kids. Isn't that great, huh? And so uh, I, I slept on this air mattress that sprung a leak. And I sank down, and I had a kid on either side that went downhill and rolled on top of me. And I got one of the worst nights of sleep ever. You know, a phrase that I just hear a lot and I, I can't make sense of, and that is happy camper. <laughs> I was not a happy camper. And yet I know there are happy campers. I know there are camping enthusiasts. Maybe you are one of them. And uh, maybe you're one of those who, you know, takes valuable paid days off of work and you invest lots of money in camping equipment so that you can sleep on the ground in a bag outside. And I, I don't get it. Maybe... You know, you can explain to me why people are happy campers, and I don't know if, if I'll ever get it. You know, it, it dawns on me that the topic we're going to discuss next is a similar dynamic in that it puzzles people on the outside. People on the outside look in to the people who are all jazzed about this, and they say, why in the world are you so excited? The, the concept is not being a happy camper, but being a joyful giver. The Bible says that God loves a joyful giver. And you say, what is a joyful giver? Well, the Christian life has a very important aspect to it, and that is the management of our money in such a way that we can be extravagantly generous to God's cause. And there are so many of us in the Compass Church who have chosen to embrace this biblical path. And when I say extravagantly generous. We're not talking like throw a buck in the box. 
We're talking thousands and thousands of dollars. We're talking about changing our lifestyle, simplifying, denying ourselves certain luxuries so that we can invest in the cause of God. And, and people you know, who aren't in it yet, maybe they attend church, but they're not buying in. They say, and you're joyful about that? And we would say, it's awesome. I love it. It's one of the fa- my favorite parts of life. And, and you say, joyful giver, I don't get it. Can you try to help me make sense of that? And I can't help you with happy camper, but I can with joyful giver. And so this message is an attempt to make sense of this, this enthusiastic life of denial and sacrifice that so many of us have chosen to embrace. And scripturally, what I want to do, I, I've been in a minor prophet's thing lately. If you recall, the Minor Prophets are these small books at the end of the Old Testament. And before my study break, we looked at Joel. Uh, I spent a whole series on Joel, one of the Minor Prophets. And then after my study break, Jonah, another one of the Minor Prophets. And now I want to turn to Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament. And I want to make sense of extravagant generosity to God's cause by looking at a very challenging passage Consider yourself warned, all right? Page 960 in the Bible in the back of the seat if you're wanting to grab it. God speaking in Malachi 3.7. Return to me, God says. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return, God? And God responds, will a mere mortal Rob God, and yet you're robbing me, God says. But you ask, uh, how are we robbing you? God answers, in tithes and offerings. Or in other words, in the neglect, the failure to operate with tithes and offerings. Now, these are churchy terms, and so they need some defining. Let's underline these two terms here, tithes and offerings. The tithe, first of all, means, the word tithe literally means the tenth. And it points to this ancient lifestyle of living on 90% of your income and giving a tenth or 10% of all you make to the Lord and his cause. And when I say ancient, folks, for millennia, the cause of God has been funded by this practice. I look at my family. Both sets of grandparents were passionate tithers their entire lives. My parents, passionate tithers. Jen and I, passionate tithers. And so many in our church have chosen to embrace this. And uh, 10%, 10%, that's thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah, it is. And adjusting and simplifying one's lifestyle to start tithing can be a profound challenge. But once you wrestle through that and you get a handle on your finances and you learn to live on the 90, I'm telling you, it's glorious. Now, you say, okay, that's the tithe, that's the 10%. What's an offering? Well, in the ancient days as well as today, they did not view the tithe as the maximum but rather the minimum. And an offering was a gift 
above and beyond the tithe. God said there will be moments when you have the resources or you just are nudged by God's spirit or you're just enthused by what God's doing and you want to help out even more. Well, you'll make a special gift above and beyond the tithe. And that's the offering. And they are a part of the ancient Israeli culture and they are how our church and almost every church out there thrives with financial backing. And again, the concept is fairly clear. Why it's so beautiful is where the puzzle comes, and that's what I want to talk about. I'd like to point to, out of the scripture, four benefits of a lifestyle of tithing. And the first is this, the close relationship with God. You say, I don't understand how this paying your dues to an organization, some view it that way, has anything to do with a relational dynamic with God. Look at the verse. In fact, let's look at these first two lines. Let's highlight these. God says, return to me, and I will return to you. This is relational. God says, there's a distance that has creeped in between us, and we must come together and have a tight relationship. Uh, But you ask, how are we to return, Lord? What's the issue that's separating us. And God said, tithes and offerings. Folks, one of the ways that you can know that things are not at full steam with you and God is when there's a neglect of the financial component. You know, our, our mission statement of our church is to love him more, so more love him. And there are some, many, and only you know if this is true of you, where in word you would say, I love the Lord above all else. But in action, in life, as you look at your checkbook, you discover that you're not obeying him in this regard. And this passage is saying this would tell us something about that. When you love someone, money follows. Do you know that Jesus said, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And I'd like to prove it by showing you an ancient artifact (laughs) from back when I was in high school, all right? That's how old it is. This is a gold chain. In fact, let's put it on the screen. You can't see it very well. I, in high school, bought this for my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. And you, uh, that, this was a very popular chain style in the 80s, you should know, huh? Some of you were there. And uh, it's extravagant because I was the cheapest human being on the planet, I was working hard back in high school, and I was into saving all my money, and I didn't, I didn't let go of a nickel without you prying it out of my hand. And here, I'm spending hundreds of dollars on a heavy, solid gold chain. What's up? Love, baby, love. I was so, I fell in love with Jen. I was I want to buy her gold. You know, my folks were like, you sure you want to spend that much on this girl? Uh-huh, I do. Love. Yeah, now, here, this is a sad thing. When this was purchased, my generosity was being expressed towards Jen, but not towards God. Back when this was purchased, I was not tithing. I was not generous. Why? Simply put, I didn't love God that much. Uh, Later on, when I was in college, is when I fell in love with Jesus Christ, when I realized he is unbelievable, his goodness and his love, and this, this opportunity to live with him 
just caught my heart, and that's when the, the giving uh, erupted in my life. And so, folks, I would ask you, where is the giving level in your life, and what does that say about the love relationship with God? And maybe you say, oh, I realize, can we go back to the previous screen? I, I realize that I, I want so badly to enter into a closer relationship with God, and I've, I'm realizing I'm not because I'm not tithing. What do I do? How do we return? Not only is the giving an indicator of a problem, it's also the solution to that problem. This passage, God says, return to me. How do I return to you, Lord? Through the tithes and offerings. In other words, when we obey and start to sacrifice for God, an intimacy with God is a result of this practice as well. And I can speak for that. When I started sacrificing and writing these checks, I'd be like, wow, I can't believe I'm doing this, but here goes nothing. And I'm like, Lord, it's because I want to know you and I want to love you more. And God and I started to connect. Sacrifice! Obviously, sacrifice of his son brought us together, and sacrifice of my money contributed to the intimacy that we, we enjoy. And so that's the first thing that we benefit from, is it's about a closer relationship with God. God says, return to me. Secondly, it's about the freedom of possessing nothing. That's a weird statement. The freedom of possessing nothing. You say, wait a minute. Poverty is not a freedom. And Jesus would disagree. Jesus talks about in Matthew 5, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. Isn't that weird? Jesus says there's a poorness of spirit. It's not a literal poorness, but you don't claim anything. And Jesus says in that inner poverty, you find fullness. Let's let's, let's highlight these three verses or lines here. Remember what God said? Will a mere mortal rob God? (laughs) It's it's like, really? You're just a puny human being, and you're going to mug God? There's a stick up, give me your money? You're going to do that, God says. Yeah, that's what you did. You, You rob me. And the person who's defensive would say, wait a minute, don't describe it in that way. All right, so I'm choosing not to just give up my hard-earned money to God. That's true. But don't say I'm robbing him. It's not his, it's mine. Is it? You see, this verse conveys the biblical Christian perspective that all we have, not just the 10%, all we have is God's. That we are not the owners, but the managers of God's estate. Uh, This is radical perspective shift. I I understand that. And it is a glorious perspective shift where we no longer say, mine, it's mine. But we say, hey, Lord, the house I live in is yours, and I'm grateful to use it. And the money in the bank, it's yours, and I'm honored to manage it. I have nothing except you. The Bible says, we say, the Lord is my portion. The only thing I own is God himself. And that perspective yields that if you don't give him the tithe, yeah, you're taking what is his. You're robbing him. And folks, there is, it's counterintuitive, but there's freedom and poverty of spirit. Those who say, mine, it's mine, it's mine. 
there is an enslavement to a money monster. When, when people who say, this is my money, mine, 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 you know what happens? You begin to view your very self-esteem, your own value based on how much you have. And when you see others who have it better than you, you feel bad about yourself and you feel entitlement. Why don't I? Why can't I do that? And why can't I buy that? And how come I can't drive that? And there's bitterness and jealousy and resentment and frustration and junk begins to clog up your soul. And the Lord says, you know, get off that train and just say, I'm done valuing money and possessing as the key. The Lord is my portion. He's all I have, and I'm cool with that. And I'm grateful that he's honored me with his chance to manage. There's freedom and joy that comes with letting go of the possessing mindset. Here, I'll, I'll illustrate. Um, this is a jar of candy corn. I, I have a problem with this stuff. My wife, as fall arrives, starts putting jars around the house, and it's just temptation beyond which I... Some of you are like, that's gross. You can't stand that stuff. Hey, everybody's got their thing, and this is one of mine, all right? I'll never forget when my oldest daughter, Jora, was just a three-year-old kid. She had the same problem as her dad. And she took the top off the candy corn jar. And I was watching as she plunged her hand into the jar and grabbed the biggest fistful of candy corn she could. You know what happened? As she tried to get her hand out, the fist didn't fit through the, the opening anymore. And I just thought this was hilarious. I remember calling General got to see this. Come here, come here. And we watched Jora as she negotiated this dilemma. You know, she's like, mm, 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 what am I going to do? I'm trapped, you know. And, and she spent the longest time coming to the realization that the only way to get free was to let go. And that's true of you and I. When our mindset is, it's mine. I worked hard for it. It's mine, mine, mine. Though it seems like the right way to approach it. It leads to this enslavement, to this system that values possession and things and assigns personal value based on that. Let go of it. Enter into the, the paradigm of God, which says, Lord, it's all yours. I'm not about collecting and boasting and what I've collected. It's yours. And I will manage it as you lead. And my heart, will find joy in possessing you alone. This perspective is very transformational. Okay, the freedom of uh, possessing nothing. Let's, let's move on to the third one. And this is the power of a fully resourced church. And that comes out of this next verse, uh, verse 10. And verse 10 says simply this, Bring, God speaking, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. The house of God in the ancient days was the temple in Jerusalem. And quite literally, there were storehouses. In the ancient days, the, the, the resource, the commodity was grain. And so quite literally, the farmers would harvest their fields and take one-tenth, the first tenth, of their crop, bring it to the temple. And the vision was these storehouses, you can read about it in the, arch, uh, the architectural descriptions of the temple, huge storehouses. God's vision was that they would be full. 
But as it is in Malachi's day, they were bone dry, empty. Why? Because the people weren't tithing. And as a result, the Lord grieves and he says the solution is to bring the whole tithe, not 90%, I'm sorry, 9%, not 9.5%, the whole 10%. God says, if you will bring it, there will be fullness in my storehouse. Folks, God's plan for his church, the house of God today is his church, and God's plan is that there would be complete resources in the church. Why? Just so the church can say, I'm rich? No, so that the church can spend it in effective ministry. Money is translated into ministry, and ministry is translated into changed lives. The whole goal behind being a well-financed church is to see this place powerful as far as helping people find eternal life in Jesus Christ. And when a church is strong financially, there's just incredible ministry it can do. You know, can I just do a little historical analysis? The Compass Church has been a fully resourced church in the decades past. There has been a history of generosity in this place. Look at this room. I mean, this thing, I had no part in this. This thing costs over $10 million. You say, where'd you get that $10 million? Well, the people that have gone before us, some of them are you, you know, gave lavishly, freely. And we benefit as thousands of people have been ministered to in this place. I think of the six decades the Compass Church has been in existence and the thousands of people who have trusted Christ through that ministry. It was through the generosity of the people, our forefathers. And still today, as the church rolls on, what is the, the, found, the backing behind all the ministry? It's generosity. It couldn't happen without generosity. And so when I see baptisms, I think tithing. I think I was a part of that because of the financial generosity we've given. Let's test if you can see tithing when you see a baptism. Here's a recent, last couple of weeks we've baptized some folks at three campuses. So let's take a look at the screen. of my sister Ann Ramey, my family started attending the Compass Church in 2012. I soon realized that it wasn't just church that I had been searching for. The something more that I needed was a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to become baptized because I am now at a point where I am willing to stand up in front of anybody and say, yes, I am a Christian. And today I know I want to commit my life to him. Give him all of me. I was neighbors with Connie and Hank Swarkowski. Um, had it not been for them, I don't think I would have found Jesus.
If you are a financial partner of this church, look in those eyes because you are part of the great spiritual win in those people being transformed. Do you see it? Do you feel it? And when you give, do you thank God that his church is being resourced and that lives are changing? You know, some of you are like, man, that's really helpful. I, I, I don't see the faces when I give. Here's a, makes it even more challenging. Do you see the faces overseas that are changed when you give? Because there's massive amounts of them. Uh, our church gives, this last fiscal year, we gave over a million dollars with the Christmas gift added in, over a million dollars to missions. Every year, oh yeah, we can celebrate that. Year after year, million dollars, million dollars, million dollars, more than that. You know, what does that money do? Well, a million dollars goes a long way in these impoverished countries, mobilizing an army of servants in the name of Jesus Christ, making a difference. And I've had the privilege of, in this last couple of years, going to Nepal and to India and meeting these new Christians and seeing these new churches that we've uh, been a part of funding to make them go. And it just thrills. So use your imagination and realize that when you're a generous giver, when the church is being fully resourced here at this campus and at Wheaton and at 95th and now at Bolingbrook, God is changing lives. And overseas, God is changing lives, and it's part of the great win. So here's a fair question. Would you, Jeff... Describe our church as fully resourced today. I think I would not. I think I would call us well-resourced, but not fully. And there's a couple of reasons I say that. One of them is that I've looked at the stats, and I know that there, there are so many in our church that are tithers. There are so many in our church that are not. And I think to myself, if there was a movement of God's spirit among us that led to an outpouring of generosity beyond what we're presently experiencing, what could be done? And let me just tell you, much could be done. One of the pains of being a senior pastor is that I've been working with Daryl and John and wrestling through budgeting matters. And our staff are coming to us saying, hey, if I could have some money for this project and if I could have some money for this new staff position and they make a case that souls would be saved and that the church would advance and we're persuaded, we look at them and we say, you are right, that would be a huge win. There's no money for it. And we have to say no, 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 which breaks my heart. And then I look at New Song. Uh, in this new campus, Lord willing, we, we will have after the vote next week, 60,000 square feet. It's a huge elementary school. It, it is so rich with potential. And yet the, the need for renovation is significant. We have funds for some, but only a little compared to what is possible. And, and I just think, oh, the, the way that money could turn that into a gem that would powerfully advance the cause of Christ. And so I, forgive me for dreaming and praying that God would do a move of generosity in our church in the days ahead that would lead to profound effectiveness beyond what we're presently experiencing through being better resourced. All right, last point. 
The last point is the extravagant generosity of God. This is another benefit of tithing. And here is a verse you'll want to hold on to. Verse 10, God says, right after God said, bring the whole tithe, God says, test me, people, test me. God's inviting us to test him. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I do not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. That's a good problem to have, huh? God is uh, saying, listen, if you guys rise up and are generous, know this, you will never outgive me. God says, I am the most generous being in the universe. And it is my great joy, God says, to pour out blessing. Now, is blessing always financial? Not always. Sometimes, often, people will speak of their investments doing well, their business doing well, and correlate that to God's blessing to their tithing. But it's not just financial. It's relational and opportunities and impact being made. There are so many thousands of ways God can and does bless And he simply says that I am inclined to pour out blessing, but I'm waiting until you obey in this area and I will unleash a new level of blessing in your life that you've never experienced. And and you may say, is that true? I'm telling you it is. If we had the time, we would put up a microphone here and we'd say, hey, anybody who wants to bear witness to this principle in their life, come on up. And we would have so many tithers who would step forward and say, it has been true in my life. When I stepped into obedience in this regard, the hand of blessing from God in my life was undeniable. And I'd be first in line to tell you that it's true of me. Folks, does the madness start to make sense? Let's put up the, the outline again. Uh, here are the benefits to tithing. Uh, here's what, if, you, if you move into this, you will find a closer relationship with God. God says, return to me and I will return to you. We will enjoy an intimacy, a, a love relationship beyond anything you've ever tasted before. Uh, God says, the freedom of possessing nothing. If you step into this, it's not mine, and if I keep it, I'm robbing you. If you embrace that mindset and just say, nothing's mine anymore. I'm no longer about mine, collecting and protecting and keeping and holding and grabbing. I now say, God, it's all yours. I am poor in spirit, except in this, I have you, and you are enough. Oh, that is, there is joy in the freedom of possessing nothing. The power of a fully resourced church in the days ahead as God moves and as we experience an outpouring of generosity and can unleash uh, a, a ministry plan beyond anything we've done before, oh, the fruit will be fun. And then the extravagant generosity of God. When we live this way, God says, you can't outgive me. Givers will not be losers in God's economy. Does that make sense? All of a sudden you say, wow, wow, that is extraordinary. And so God says, step up. And to step up, we want to provide a very, very tangible way to do this. Sometimes, sometimes putting pen to paper is a very helpful line in the sand. Rather than it being just nice talk, pastor, how about it be a, oh, I'm going to change. 
And we want to provide a chance for people to respond to God's prompting in them. So grab one of these cards out of your seat back. It's called just a commitment card. And let me be clear, we're, this is not a contract. We're not holding you to anything on this. We think the benefit, first of all, is for you. There's something about just saying it and writing it down that helps you move. The other benefit is we'll collect it and it'll give us as leaders a better window as to what is God doing in our midst as it re, uh, relates to giving. And you'll see there's so many options to check. One of them is I want to start giving. Maybe you've been a non-giver and you want to just put your big toe in the water and start. Others say I want to increase my giving. Others say I want to start tithing. Others say I've been tithing for decades and I want to continue tithing. Others say, you know, God is actually nudging me in this season to give beyond the tithe. And there's a place you can indicate that. There's also a spot where you can sign up for electronic giving. I am so regular in my tithing, and it's only because the bank helps me and uh, just does it automatically, and I benefit from that. Others uh, will find the Financial Peace University a great tool. As you say, man, my finances are such a mess. I need help. And Financial Peace University is a course we offer that trains you on how to gain victory in management of finances. And so, uh, in, the, in the song following my prayer here, uh, you'll have a chance to fill this out, and then the ushers will collect them. And this could be a huge moment of victory in your life, in God's heart, for our church. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. We're going to thank you for Malachi 3, for saying it as abruptly as you did. You're robbing me, people. God, sometimes we need you to say it like it is to capture our attention. And Lord, your grace is a good thing. We've all failed financially, every one of us. We thank you for your forgiveness and grace. But help us to grow. Help our life to be more of what you describe in Scripture and help us as a church to become a very generous people. We do love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.